showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dolson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling or couples therapy. Welcome back to Relationships Like the Podcast. And as you are starting to pick up, a lot of my guests, I have been following them on Instagram. Instagram seems to be a great place to get, you know, misguided helpfulness, but also credible advice and help. And so when I see something that really stands out to me, I want to have them on the show. And Max Stanley Cazo was someone that I saw, I think I actually saw him give a live first. And then I promptly followed his page and was like, wow, there are some great information here. And if I thought he was great and someone that is putting out decent tips and goals and suggestions into the world that I thought, Hey, maybe I'm not the only one that could benefit. So what grabbed my attention was in his bio. It talked about specializing in affairs in particular. And I think there's so many misconceptions about affairs. So I was so excited to have him on when I sent him a DM and he applied, uh, replied to come on the show. So welcome back. I'm now going to give you the formal introduction. So he's a licensed, licensed marriage. Hold on. I'm getting that wrong. I want to say licensed marriage and family therapist, but that's not actually what the initials say. What are the initials here? So I don't get it all wrong. Yeah. I am a licensed mental health therapist. Licensed mental health therapist and owner and operator of therapy is for everyone counseling where he specializes in individual counseling, marriage and family, and couples counseling. Max Caseload tends to be about 70% couples and 30% individuals and families, a majority of which of his caseload are actually Black men and women. And so that is something I want to ask him about soon. And I relate to the caseload kind of um, in the fact that about 70% of my caseload is couples as well, and 30% tends to be individuals. The families I currently have none of, but I used to in the past. So he got his undergraduate degree and Bachelor of Science in Psychology from Queens College and Master's of Mental Health Counseling from Long Island University. Uh, he has three certifications from the Gottman Institute and a certification from Emotion Focused Therapy. His therapeutic philosophy tends to focus on a holistic approach, utilizing a variety of techniques, tailoring therapy to each individual's needs. So welcome to the show. I'm so stoked to have you. Thank you for having me. All right. So this is my favorite question when I'm talking to a therapist and I'm curious. So tell me a little bit about how has your own education in marriage therapy impacted your own life? Wow. Um, I'll put it to you, Frank it saved my own relationship prior to prior to my foray or deep dive into the Gottman approach i was in a three-year relationship with my current partner we're about to hit 10 years now um at that time my communication skills were horrible i couldn't communicate whatsoever a lot of conflict a lot of contempt we were breaking up every week like it was it was toxic to use two days term. And mm-hmm. once I, I got the information and I just went on and I did research, I watched YouTube, I read one of his book in one day. Wow. Then I, then I took it home. We sat together, we talked about everything. We practiced communication skills and everything. And now if I can say we have not had a conflict in over five years, we have disagreements, we have uncomfortable conversations but we mm. haven't had a conflict in the past five years. And I love what you said, like, to be frank, it saved your relationship. And for me, uh, to like, uh, my first marriage ended in divorce because like like you, I didn't have the skills. You know, there was contempt, mm-hmm. there was stonewalling, there was not talking for days and I got divorced and I was like, 
okay, well, that wasn't how I wanted things to go. <laughs> and I am trained, I have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. So, so maybe I should really implement that stuff. And similar to you, like once I started going into it, like reading book cover to cover in a day and really figuring out how can I implement these tools to have a great relationship. And similar to you, my husband and I, we have disagreements, uncomfortable conversations, but it's been a really long time since we've had a big fight. So what do you yes. think? you know, what was it for you that made you personally decide to say, okay, I'm going to sit down and read this book cover to cover. Cause I'm tired. Like, I'm just like, you're done. You're tired breaking up every day. What, how come you decided to do that? <laughs> so at that time period, um, I, I, I would talk to the other males that were around me and they just couldn't offer me any solution. It was just basic advice from their own personal life that were, that was rooted in their own biases and their own, their own experiences. I was look, looking for answers. I didn't want to mm -hmm. guess. So now when I'm seeing um, this approach is over 40 years of research that has been tested and proven, I'm like, I'm a science guy. I'm a number guy. I like mm. for things to make sense to me. And what was more interesting is that it was very practical. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very practical. We did the role play. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so I literally ordered the book, sat there, I read the book, I went home, we read cover, cover to cover, we did almost every single exercise. And since then, that has been a requirement in the relationship where we are reading relationship books together, where I'm doing more training, she watches all of my lives, she is part of most of the workshops that I do. And she will also call me out and say, um, currently, that was a criticism you need to restart <laughs> with a soft startup. It's amazing. Oh, that is amazing. And I think one of the things I just want to highlight that you just shared is a lot of people told me they've read the books, but very few people tell me they've done the exercises. And I think there's Correct. a huge difference between reading and doing. And if you've read the books, I commend you. I'm so delighted. If you're listening to this, you're picking things up and your next step is to start actually trying, like actually do the exercises, actually do the role plays because we can kind of hear about it, but we learn best by being shown what to do, told what to do and actually doing. And most of that yes. growth comes in the actually doing. Amazing, yes. amazing. So just before we got on this call, you told me you have been sleep deprived for the last 18 months. <laughs> 18 um, months. Tell me what changes have you noticed in your relationships after having an 18 month year old? Ooh, I was not ready. Well, I was because <laughs> I read a lot of books, and one of the books I read was was by Gottman, Baby, Baby Mix Three. So mm, I yes. anticipated a lot of changes have happening, and I knew that we had to go back to the basics. But as a new parent, first time parent, I have my child. I'm through the moon. Everything's amazing and things like this, and we were not paying as much attention to each other because mm -hmm. the baby required so much. On average, couples that have a child only spend 10% of their time together, right? right? So when I started seeing a pattern of us just bickering and just us not really dedicating enough time to each other, um, I approached her. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's get back to our basics. What are we not doing? Our six-second kiss. How can I love you better this week? Um, words of appreciation. So we got down to the basic. And we have incorporated that to the point where now, like e e even though we have a child, our, our cup or our, our bank account is, is still full. There's a nice. lot of love. There's, there's a lot of appreciation and we're doing amazing so far. Oh my gosh. What you just said is so important. Like people think, you know, from popular culture advice from friends that making a relationship work is these like really hard, long drawn out conversations, or, you know, you shouldn't have to work at it should just be easier, natural. And I love these little tiny rituals of connection. You just told me about a six second kiss, you know, sharing appreciation. People don't realize appreciation can be like, thanks for doing the dishes or wow, you're yes. such a great parent. Thank you for staying up all night with our screaming child. I appreciate you. Look at the hard work you're doing. And if we can just think about these little itty bitty things, it's like, it's like, you know, you're adding, um, you're watering a plant and, mm -hmm. you know, it slowly seeps into the soil. And maybe that plant starts off as like kind of brown and it's, you know, kind of like those leaves are falling off. But if you add enough fertilizer and enough water, eventually over time, you'll see a brand new green leaf sprout up and maybe a little flower and another green wow. leaf. And what people don't realize is they expect like, oh, I said something nice. 
why aren't they nice now? Like they aren't being better because it's not an instant process. Often after a child comes and things, you get depleted and it's hard. And it's those little waterings every day that make, you know, the green leaves grow back. So I love that those was little excellent. Thank that you. Was thank you. Turn that into a reel. If you don't, I will. <laughs> oh, we, we can both make it a reel. You're also, I give you permission to steal it from therapy. I, I use that one. You can imagine. <laughs> okay. So now we've learned a little bit about you. And I want to talk about affairs because, um, you know, a misconception I see is that uh, people overestimate that men are going to have affairs and forget women have affairs a lot, uh, not a lot, but like they also do in my yes. practice, actually, you know, I have a bias subset, but, um, you know, in my practice, I see equal 50, 50, um, there's no one gender that comes in having affairs more often. And so what have you learned are some of the precursors, some of the things that are happening in relationships that tend to go wrong, that begin to set the stage for an affair to occur? That's an excellent question. How do I answer that? So um, again, research, right? 70% of the time, um, a partner will seek an affair not because they require sex or physical intimacy is due to a need that is not being fulfilled in the relationship. So mm. the pre the precursors to an affair are the basic things that we have talked about is the foundation. Am I being heard? Am I being seen? Am I being appreciated? Are you creating a safe space for me where I can express myself, where we you you're showing empathy and compassion to me? And are we meeting each other's needs? If mm -hmm. I continuously come come to you with a specific need and or a bit of connection, right? To 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 keep it more therapeutic and it's rejected or it's not being met, it's human nature to seek it elsewhere eventually. Mm -hmm. Most affairs start due to a, an emotional need. And then later on, it turns into a, a, a physical affair due to that emotional vulnerability con con connection and, and dyadic, which then progresses to sex. Mm -hmm. And I love uh, that you shared that most people aren't getting into it just for the physical. Like there's a misconception they're going because their sexual needs aren't met. But like you said, it's often an emotional need that's not being met in the relationship because the foundation isn't in place. And from your experience, if you try to keep going to your partner and they're not emotionally there, um, what does a person start doing if their partner isn't there for them? Well, um, I have seen that at times it's either they fully shut down or mm -hmm. they they no, they fully shut down and no longer feel safe to express that need. Or eventually, like they start to identify, okay, this this need is out, it's not being met. This person is not doing what they're so, so supposed to, to do for me. Or what's wrong with me? Why am I not enough? Like, is it my issue? Especially mm. if, if, if that need is being gaslighted or is being weaponized against that same individual. So there, mm -hmm. there is a foray of, of this, this, this decision-making that differs from person to person. But I have seen mainly those eventually see seeking out that need elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of getting the sense that you're like, okay, they start to question, like, is it about me? They don't know what's going on. Maybe they're feeling they're being gaslighted. They're going looking elsewhere. But what really strikes me is this kind of notion of they're no longer going to their partner and they're keeping, not maybe because they mean to, but now they have this whole world that's separate from their partner, this whole pain separate from their partner. It's like the beginning of secret keeping, yeah. the beginning of no longer sharing your deep needs mm -hmm. because your partner hasn't been available to. Yeah. And then slowly, as you begin to share with someone else, it kind of, um, usually we think of our partners are confident the person we would go to share those more, more vulnerable things, but slowly we started to go to somebody else and it starts out innocent that sharing and then it progresses. Yes. And a lot of resentment is, is, is also being built in, in, against your partner due to the fact that, Hey, they are not doing what they're so, supposed to do. They're not off, offering you that space. Now at times you can even feel guilty sharing such intimate details with someone else because you yeah. wanted to share it with your partner. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's imagine we get to the place the affair happens and the other person finds out. And 
in the immediate aftermath of discovering, what are the top suggestions you have for couples just after the grenade has gone off? Take a second and breathe. Mm. Take a second and breathe. Requires some time if you have to relocate to a hotel or if or if you gotta go see a friend or etc. Just take a second to, to breathe so you can process. Because at that time period, you're basically being hit by an emotional fright train. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that's going through your mind. Is what did I do wrong? Or how, how could you do this to us? Especially if you have children, how could you? The signs were there. What's happening? Like, what's wrong with you? It's just there's so many things that are happening. And at times, we start asking questions that's going to further tra traumatize us, right? It's mm. When, mm. where, how many times, when, in the car, in the house, like you start asking all of these traumatic questions that the answers are not helping the healing process, mm. right? And your, part, 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 and your partner as well may be withholding more, more information and gauging how much you know. <clears throat> Sorry. But for deciding which amount to share. So I always recommend for you to take some time and process and breathe and think it through prior to your next move. Yeah. And I, I think what you said about like, it's like being hit by a freight train. You're right. And I think I've had many men whose partners have had affairs say like, I'm not emotional. I don't know what's happening. I'm crying uncontrollably. My body is shaking. I feel so detached from reality. I've never been a crier. I don't understand why I can't stop crying. They're like, this isn't me. I don't know what's going on. I've always thought of this as weak. Like I'm not weak. And they're so shaken up. Many women also can't stop crying, shaking, trembling, feeling totally detached, numb. It's just, and you can't predict what the emotional response is going to be yeah. because it, it tears down your whole world in an instant. And so we talked a little bit about some of the reasons that lead to affairs, but I think from your view, so there's reasons that begin are the precursors to affair, but whose responsibility actually is it to decide whether or not to cross that physical line? And that's why I always say you cannot prevent someone from cheating on you because at the end of the day, that's in a, that's a decision that in that this individual is doing. Right. At any time they can recognize where, when they are crossing the line and it's a decision that they are making to take on that step. I've, I've had couples where that emotional need was, was not being provided and they found a confidence. Where, where they could express, um, connect, and be emotionally vulnerable with. But at some point, they've identified that, and they've put the necessary boundaries and turned back to their partner and will ask to go to therapy so they can process what has taken place and, and what has, what's not being met. So again, choosing to cheat is a decision. You don't have mm. to go that route. You're choosing to go that route. Right. doesn't just happen. And so I want everyone to like really think about what he just said. He said, okay, maybe you don't realize initially you've gone to another person, you're confiding. But then once you realize that you've overstepped that bound, or maybe you're starting to feel that pang of guilt, these are your clues that you're turning in the wrong direction and to keep going once you've realized, and at some point you do, or maybe you don't really, but it's, it's our responsibility as people to take a step back and go, wow, is this in alignment with my, my marriage goals or my relationship goals? Will my partner be okay with this? Am I okay with this? And if the answer is no, to say, okay, I'm trending down a slippery slope. I have the opportunity right now to turn to my partner and say, wow, I'm trending somewhere I don't like, but where I want to go is work on this with you to go to counseling or to express to your partner how really bad it is. And my experience so far has been with, with many couples is maybe they don't realize how bad it is for their partner or from their view, things are still good or they don't get like how deeply painful it is to their partner. But I think, yes, there's a... a like we can understand and there's a bit of a predictable formula for why people go down that path. And still it is not an excuse. It's right. a choice. And there's yes. a very and fine line distinction there. Yes. And there's also two type of cheaters based on the research that have done. So we have spoken of the situational cheater, right? Which mm -hmm. is at, at, at the wrong place at the wrong time, or they crossed that line and they've identified it and they knew that they did something wrong and they came back home. They, they, they expressed it, they shared it and are willing to do the work needed to ensure that it does not happen again. There is also the categorical cheater, 
where that's just part of their characteristic. They are just mm -hmm. cheaters during that phase in their life where they are putting themselves in places, in situations for the result of cheating, right? They're DMing women, they are planning it versus yeah. some, someone who just, this just went too far. And I'm sorry and not recognize that. Absolutely. So that's a huge, important distinction is there's people who it's not, they've just kind of, you know, not had their needs met. That's just their pattern of behavior over time. And, and some people probably may fall into sexual addiction. Other people may not it just, uh, you know, it's a whole other can of worms other than your situational cheater. So great points. Okay. So you find out, you take your breather, you mentioned some questions are going to re-traumatize or more traumatize yes. us. What yes. kinds of questions should we not ask <laughs> well to, to, to me i i've always said that you shouldn't ask um the where and and the when but i've i've noticed that's part of some someone's process and healing um but in therapy what what, what i would do is put a cap of how much information that that you want to ask to that degree we can just have one session where you ask all of your questions, where your partner has to be honest with you and give you all of the information. But eventually we need to move to the why. Why did you cheat? Why did you not communicate that to me? What, what, what was missing? What did I not do? Right? Because it requires accountability from both partners. Right. right? Is why and what? What is missing? What was not met? Um, why was it not communicated? How was it communicated? How did I respond to it? And et cetera. And that's when the healing really starts. Mm -hmm. And so you talked about the when and where, and I think for me, the questions I really want people to stay away from uh, are anything that gives the graphic details. I'm like, <laughs> do not share the what you did because, and the reason for that is like, okay, let's imagine you get the when and the where, like, okay, we, that can cause some things. But if you start sharing the what you did, then you get a mental frame. And oftentimes when you have just been hit by that freight, freight train, the what you did, the sexual acts themselves, the picture we just, we get in our mind's eye can be just as bad or worse than what actually happened because we're so hurt. Yeah. And then we can't get rid of the pictures we make in our minds. And so one of the big cautions I have is like, stay away from, describing these sexual acts. Um, yeah. It can be tempting to go there, but but also tremendously painful. And like something has happened. And if you really want to resolve that things have happened, my, my suggestion would be to stay away from what they, the sexual acts they did. Correct. And and also in, in, in today's society, due to the patriarchy and the toxic masculinity, I have found that a lot of women would just blame themselves mm -hmm. as to why their partner has cheated. Like, was I not giving him enough sex? Was I not um, doing it enough or in the specific way that he required? Or would even try to find who, who that partner was just to attack them or et cetera, versus really asking and asking their partner, why, why did you make that trust? Why did you let it go so far? Mm -hmm. what was missing, what was needed, and, and et cetera. Mm, okay. So initially in the aftermath, you get into taking some space, staying away from bad, uh, not bad, but unhelpful questions. Yes. Um, what is the responsibility early on of the person who had the affair? What, what could the hurt partner expect from the person who has had the affair? So in theory, two, two things. However, in practice, that's usually not the case. Mm. Um, the first thing is you have to be completely honest. You have mm. to answer all of the questions and you gotta be fully transparent. Secondly, mm. um, that affair needs to end. We yes. cannot start therapy unless that affair has ended. So you need to communicate to whoever and put the necessary boundaries and end that relationship now third since you did the crime now you must do do the time and the time is exactly what your partner is is requiring sometimes it's sharing your location um access to all of your devices and all of your social media accounts emails passwords or etc 
um, be prepared that at one day, um, your partner can be triggered at any moment. Whatever progress is, is made, one day things could look like it was back to day one, right? It should be prepared for, for that process and willing to, to do the time to show and earn that trust back. Mm, yes. And I find, you know, most people start off honest, like they kind of get that they have to be transparency. What though is one I find people struggle with, or they want to be transparent to a point, or they start to feel like their personal privacy is infringed upon. And what would you say to people who are like, no, my privacy is being infringed upon. I'm being controlled. Um, I tell them two, two things, right? It, a relationship is built on two pillars and that's trust and that's commitment. When one of them is fragmented, um, whoever caused the fragmentation must be willing to do, to do the work needed to reconstruct it. And especially when it comes to trust, you have violated the trust. You have broken that trust. She or he no longer trusts you. The words that comes out of your mouth, what, what you are saying. So you have to re-earn all of these things, right? And what I have found is, well, it's been a year or it's been three months or it's been two months now. And I have to remind them it's all part of the process. Healing, mm -hmm. there is no time frame to healing, especially after an affair. There is no time frame to recovery. Each individual has their own timeline and their own process. And you must remind yourself that this is part of the process, specifically if you want to maintain that relationship moving forward. Yeah. And I, taking it back to what you said earlier, it's like being hit by a freight train. And if I was hit by a freight train and lived, I imagine my bones are going to need a lot of healing. I've got, you know, bones, but I've also got soft tissue damage everywhere. And not only, you know, do my bones need to heal, but then I'm going to need physio for a long yeah. time, maybe acupuncture, mm -hmm. massage, chiropractic for a long time. And then maybe I'll be doing great for a year, a couple of weeks, who knows? And then maybe I trip over my toe on the stairs or something like that. And the next thing, you know, you need Cairo and massage and acupuncture again. And I think the same thing can happen uh, in an affair situation. You'd be doing really well for a period of time. And then all of a sudden you're not, and you yes. need the verification again. And I think I also like we said about like, uh, if you did the crime, what'd you say? If you, if you did you the, must thing, do the time, you, you must, must do, do the, the time. time. Yeah. And the time, and you said like the time is what your partner needs. The, mm -hmm your partner is the one that has to feel okay with the trust being rebuilt. Your partner, what they're looking for is really to see that you're not doing anything. They're looking to make sure it is okay to trust you again. And only by giving someone full access to look and see, can they decide, okay, I'm really safe again. Because what happens in our bodies and our nervous systems after an affair is we feel we are unsafe. And literally we can have physiological reactions, emotional reactions, because we think we're seeing a bear constantly. Our body is responding the exact same way. Okay. So people are starting to be honest. They're doing the time they're being transparent. Um, any other initial steps for people that you think are really important? Um, is meeting the demands of the one that has been wrong, yeah. right? Well, whether yeah. that's changing the car, that's um, no longer frequenting a space that you used to frequent or were used to to meet whoever, right? So I've had a lot of, a lot of couples where um, they had to switch jobs because the person that they were sleeping with was at was at the job and their partner was was no longer comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And the step afterwards is the accountability factor from the one that was cheated on. Right, because mm -hmm. again, a relationship is a dyadic process. It takes two. It takes two to tango. So you're asking for, for all of these changes from your partner to ensure that they are no longer carrying on that affair. But you also need to self-reflect and identify exactly what were your contributions to this process. Mm -hmm. What was not being met? What was being communicated to me that was not paying that I was not paying attention to? What, what information have I weaponized? How did I go missing? It's just a number of things. And, and that process to me, I find it to, to be the hardest because mm -hmm. at times um, this individual will say, well, I did nothing wrong. He mm -hmm. or she cheated, so they are wrong. I agree. They, they did step out on the relationship, but ask yourself, 
what were your contributions to their needs not being met and and curating that space so that this partner who did the cheater right can mm-hmm. express himself or herself and detail exactly what were what 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 were the reasoning why mm-hmm. and and that's when the impact hits yeah and i think it's so important to remember like influence your part does not mean cause so again if if you're looking and you're like i don't want to think about my part because i don't want to be blamed just remember you are not at fault for what your partner did we just want to look at the factors that led your partner there your partner made that choice but now we have to figure out what happened so we can safeguard and protect from it ever happening again well said thanks thanks okay so any suggestions or thoughts about what someone could begin to do to look at or examine their role in the process ask ask your partner <laughs> directly hey what is it that you needed that i was not providing to you Mm. And a lot of times it's hey I was expressing this information to you but I didn't feel hurt or I didn't have the space I I I didn't feel comfortable talk t- talking to you about about this 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 specific thing. So it's it it it's usually rooted in being heard, being seen and being validated and being honored. Mm. So I love how you said okay ask your partner Now, um, some people are great at at hearing their partner's feedback. Other people are not. So you had an Instagram quote lately, and it said, I might have skipped a word when I wrote this down. It says something like, "Effective, effective apology requires you to take responsibility for what you did, not who you are. Can you talk a little bit about, so your partner says, you know, here's what you did to me. How could they offer an effective apology or how could they take responsibility what, what does that look like? Yeah, it, great question. Um, it could be, you know, you know what, I, I apologize for not listening to you. I, I apologize for not being present for you or to you in the times that you needed me. I apologize for not rec- recognizing the signs of you trying to communicate with me or asking for certain needs to be met, right? Mm. It's, it's not that I'm selfish or I don't care about you or you don't matter. It's just, I miss those signs and I apologize for missing those signs. Mm, Great distinction. So you're being responsible for the behavior, not some internal label or overgeneralization, some shortcoming, some characteristic of self. Okay. Okay. So let's imagine you are the partner being asked, what did I do that led there? What tips do you have for them when they describe what they their partner did, so it doesn't come off as, as today's popular culture word, toxic. How do they avoid toxically telling their partner? <laughs> so um, I have two cheat codes prior to having these type of conversations. The first thing that I do is that I assess a couple's com- communication skills. Right? I need to ensure that you know how to communicate prior to us jumping into the uncomfortable conversations and these needed convos, right? So as, 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 as you know, during, during the assessment phase, I have my couples argue for about 10 to 15 minutes. And within the first three minutes, I am looking for the four horsemen to ensure, okay, here's how much work we're going to do first on communication skills, right? The foundation lays down the, the framework for everything else that we do after. So by the time that we jump in into the cheating convo and what was missing and what is needed, I've already ensured that they have the basics and they know how to communicate. And secondly, the, the second cheat code is the gutman Rappaport intervention. And, that, and, and that's when I allow them to talk freely or to the best of their abilities. And then I rephrase it or reframe it in, in my own words. I then ask you, did I get that correctly? They say yes. I then ask them, okay, cool. Now it's your time to re-say it in your own words to ensure that the message is being delivered correctly. Mm-hmm. And so he just referred to the Gottman Rappaport intervention and the John Gottman and Nan Silver have a great book called What Makes Love Last. And I think the I subheadline is something about building trust and avoiding betrayal. 
And what that book actually goes over is, you know, other ways to betray your partner that isn't having an affair, what to do after an affair, um, and then how to work through your messes, big and small. And they go through, if it's not the Gottman Rappaport exercise, it might be. He talks about Rappaport in that book, actually. So it might be that exercise in there. But he does give some of the communication skills that I'm sure Mac is using in sessions. So if you're curious, there is a Gottman book that describes how to do that. And again, that is what makes love last. Okay. So we've talked a lot about um, affairs so far. And I find on Instagram, one of the comments I get a lot, I see a lot of is like, it's because of narcissism. <laughs> it's oh narcissist. my God. Um, oh Jesus. Are, are all people out there having affairs? Nar you know, have narcissistic personality disorder? Are they all affected with narcissism? And they're all being diagnosed by non-therapists. Right, right, yes. Right. Yes. It's in, in my DMs alone, hey, I'm dating this guy, he's a narcissist and blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you know he's a narcissist? Well, blah, 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 blah. And until you have a session and you and a therapist diagnose someone with such personality disorder, you cannot then weaponize that title against them. And also it speaks to individuals reluctance to take accountability it's easier to blame my partner for our relationship not working out versus mm -hmm. identifying the factors that are contributed to which also directly relates to the conversation that we're having now right mm -hmm. taking the accountability and asking what role did did i play in this tends to be the hardest step mm -hmm. um due to social media we have a problem looking in the mirror and really self-reflecting. We have this idea of portraying this per perfect world, the highlight reel, that we have it all together and we don't have work to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is true. We have a hard time looking in the mirror. That's that's true. That's true. Okay. Um, and tell me, I'm curious, like any thoughts or suggestions for someone if they're concerned their partner is in fact a narcissist what should they do about that <laughs> oh man well i think it's fair to say that in the age of social media well i actually read a book on that 80 percent of us um showcase narcissistic traits right Ooh, probably because it's a, on the spectrum of normal some of those right. traits yes and it's a social media base where, hey, look what I have, look how great I am, look how perfect my life is, right? But in terms of relationships, if there's a lack of empathy, then I, I would say that's, that's one of the signs. If there's a constant med manipulation or disuse of fine, fine finances or social status to kind of, um, to, to kind of have others cater to their ego, I would say that's a sign of narcissism if they fail to take accountability and see how they have contributed to the issues in the relationship but again before labeling your partner right attacking their character first go to therapy mm, let yes. a professional do it let and usually it's rooted in inability to communicate anyways yeah so like to summarize, there's a lot of misdiagnosis and words thrown around. I love go get it assessed by a trained therapist who actually can, can diagnose that. And like, actually, and also make sure the therapist you're asking can diagnose that there's many people yes. who are therapists <laughs> that cannot. Um, yes. And I love what you also said about those, like there's traits. Many, many people have traits of narcissistic personality disorder. It does not mean they're a narcissist. And so just be really careful with what's thrown around and what's said. Be careful not to assassinate people's character because like it might not be true. In many cases, it's not true. In some cases, it is true. But if it is true, then you and, and your partner has had an affair and it is true that they have narcissistic personality disorder, chances are you need more help than what you're going to get in social media or through a DM or something like that. Anyway, you probably need very specialized, specific help with a trained professional to help your very unique relationship problems because that is a very unique situation. All right, that's my rant. Okay, so I wanna circle back to a totally different direction, something I'm very interested about, which is that uh, your caseload is 70% couples, 30% individuals and families, majority of which are black folks. Yes. Tell me, 
my understanding of therapy is there's already a lot of stigma. Yes. My understanding of therapy is already men have a harder time accessing services than women. Okay. And people of racial minorities have a more difficult time accessing services than people of the dominant culture. Correct. So what on earth is happening that is allowing people where you live to access your services? What's going right here? I would say first is representation. Is the fact that um, black men, I am a black man, right? Mm -hmm. So black, black men would feel more comfortable talking talk to me because I understand the, the culture. I can relate to them. I look like them. I'm in the same spaces that they are in. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I've made myself known within male-dominated spaces. If I walk into my barbershop, the minute I walk in, oh, man, the therapist is here. Like my name has become the therapist. Yeah. Hey, yo, Mac, I lost my girl and I need to win her back. Hey, yo, man, I'm depressed, right? So I've, I've made myself known in, in this spaces. At the gym, it's really difficult for me to get a good workout without being interrupted, <laughs> right? It's like, yo, bro, I need to talk to you. Yo, bro, I, I need a therapist. Yo, how much you charge, right? So it's placing myself in spaces that are male dominated and ensuring that the conversation around me is changing it's asking brothers how are you and you cannot say good like i really want to know how you are doing right mm. it's not, no longer sh sh shaking hands but before covid i will hug you purposely mm -hmm. yo give me a hug give me some love like how are you what's what's going on also um with my team, we've targeted um, podcast as my foray into the commercial world, right? I was not interested in doing no TV or any of that. I want to go sit with podcasters that have the, the audience that I'm trying to cater to. So we'll sit there and three-hour conversations where the podcast is usually one hour, right? And it's just having that type of support. Um, yeah. and ensuring that I'm communicating in, in their voices, I'm recognizing how, how they are feeling. And I would say the cheat code, right, due to me being a couples therapist is, again, a lot of women want to do the work. So they are the ones to schedule sessions. They are the ones to, to, to jump on the consultation calls, and they'll bring the males with them that at first, they don't want to do this. They're in sessions. Yeah. Their hat is very low. They're not making no eye contact or et cetera. And I'm okay with that because I know the process. Right. Right. So those are the things that I have done. So my experience has been many men feel like, I mean, I, I'm a female therapist. So many men are afraid that they're going to come in and me, me and their wife are going to gang up on them. Um, <laughs> now I'm a female therapist. Do, do guys ever worry about that with you as well? That they're still going to come in and you're going to align with their partner and they're going to end up getting in trouble all therapy session. Actually, no. Okay. Because, okay. I'm, because I'm conscious of that, right? Yeah. I will, before I see a couple, I also need to talk to the male. I, I either during that, that, that consultation call or afterwards, like mm -hmm. I'm going to call you. We're going to talk because I'm going to actually the same set of questions and I'm going to explain my process. And again, your relate, your relationship is my client, not the individual's. So mm -hmm. I am here to help you work, make your relationship work. I am not here to be a referee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I think there's a lot of misconception. I'm glad to hear you don't get that. And I think for anybody listening, like that's not the job of a couple's therapist is to be an expensive referee or to take sides. Like if we take a side, it's because it's based in liter li the literature. So for example, some people in affair situations can feel like I'm taking the hurt partner side when we're talking about the importance of honesty or transparency and verification me measures, but I'm not like taking their partner side just for the sake of it. It's like, okay, this is supported in the research. I'm trying to give you evidence-based treatment. And so if it does feel biased or unfair, for me, it's very grounded in the research. I'm not just winging it like today, Amber thinks that this is important and <laughs> I'm going to align with your partner because I already told you, like when I was left to my own best devices, I got divorced. And so that didn't work out very well for me. I don't want to be yeah. giving out my, my own advice. And so it's like how, what I think is really important for people to understand is like, we're not there to, to gang up on people. We're there to just bring the research and give them the practical tools to help them improve their relationships. 
Yes. So, and the key term you said is practical. And that's why I love what I do. Like, yeah. I'm not giving advice. I'm teaching you the tools. I'm going to teach you how to communicate so you guys can have this conversation and then decide how you want to move forward and how you're going to resolve it. I don't have the answers whatsoever, but I have the knowledge and I got the skills and I'm going to help you master those skills. And after mm -hmm. 20, 20 weeks, my job is done. I have not equipped you with the tools, the skills, the mindset, the knowledge. Now, it is up to you to put them into practice daily to ensure that your relationship continue to elevate. Mm -hmm. Yes, that daily practice, right? Oh, goodness. Yeah. That's, that's a hard one to get into people's <laughs> minds sometimes. Okay, so tell me, is there any myths or common misconceptions that you have heard about therapy that you would like the opportunity to clear up? Ooh. Too many to cite, but I, I I would say that my my practice name is therapy is 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 for everyone, and my goal is to remove the stigma specifically in the black community. So most of my events are are, are catered to to that group, and it's and it's completed within um, the community. And when, when it comes to love and relationships, it's liter literally the biggest decision or the most important decision that you ever make in life, right? So I want to teach couples exactly how to communicate, how to resolve conflict and what to resolve to ensure that if your relationship and the foundation is good, then you have a higher rate of success in everything else in life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'll, I would say the final one, which I've been, I've received quite a few times is, are, 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 are you married? Right? Like the emails say, okay, we want to work with a couple therapist that is married. And I would never dis disclose because it's not important. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be in a relationship when I am trained in treating relationships. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. All right, great points. So one other question is if someone is listening and they are part of a different ethnic minority, whatever country they live in, and they're not part of the dominant race, whatever that culture is, and they're feeling fearful or unsure of approaching a therapist, what would be some great questions to ask them to see if they would be a suitable or inclusive therapist for them? Excellent. Um... I would say the first first thing is that you want to ensure that they specialize in whatever the presenting problem is. If you're currently having feelings of depression, anxiety, or it's specific to relationship affairs, addiction, right? You want to ensure that whoever that you are about to enter this therapeutic relationship with, they are qualified or have a vast experience into that field. Secondly, I would say um, ask whether or not they, they have worked with different cultures, specifically mm -hmm. your culture, right? Lately, I've been um, getting an increase in poly couples. Mm -hmm. And it was different for me because I did not know much of this world. So I've been doing a lot of research just to update my language, my understanding, and and etc. Um, I would say third is um, check on their websites and see if they have any feedback from the clients that they have seen, mm -hmm. and and ask them how comfortable they are. Right? Mm -hmm. How comfortable are you working with me due to my culture, due to my beliefs, or etc. I've I've had couples who were seeking seeking Christian therapies, Christian couples therapy. I do not know enough about Christianity to be your therapist in that field. Right. Like I, but I know others, I can refer you, but that's just not my, what I do. Yeah. Well, great, great suggestions, great feedback. And I think so many of those questions apply no matter race, religion, sexual orientation. Don't be afraid to ask your potential therapist questions. And part of from my view, part of what makes great therapy is you have to like and trust that I'm giving you solid knowledge and advice. And I think therapy doesn't work very well if you don't like, respect, trust your therapist. And it is okay to approach therapy asking questions. And if you don't like the answers, 
it is okay to say, do you know anyone that you could refer me to? I mean, the person you're talking to might be like, their feelings might be a little shocked in that moment, but that is okay as a question to ask. And I would far prefer any day of the week, someone to say, you know, thank you for your time. You're not the right fit. Can you refer me? This is what I'm looking for. And might I have to like, you know, be a little sore about it after it would encourage me to be thoughtful about what, you know, how could I expand or that I'm not going to. Um, but I would far prefer for someone to ask me for a referral so I can help people access the services they really need than to pretend they're fine with me when they're not. Okay. Oh, so, okay. Well, you have been just a wealth of knowledge. I am beyond grateful that you've taken uh, the last 54 minutes to chat with me in, in my life here. Any final thoughts you want to give to any of the listeners? On average, couples wait six years too late before going to therapy. On average, um, in the U.S. alone, 900,000 divorces every year. 10% of these in couples never made it to therapy. So if you are in a relationship currently, please play offense and not defense. And what I mean by that is the minute that you're thinking, thinking of being exclusive or get, get getting married and get, getting engaged and see that this is the person that I want to be with, please, please, I urge you to contact a couples therapist to start doing the work so you can have the foundation, the, the basics, the skills, the knowledge to ensure that whatever happens, whatever challenges that you are about to experience, you have the tools to overcome that. So again, play offense, not defense. So good. Offense, not defense. Okay, that was amazing. So if you're as amazed as I am, as you already heard, I found him on Instagram. Where can people follow you, learn from you? How can they just know more about you? Yes. Um, again, um, I'm the most active on Instagram currently. So it's talk to Mac underscore therapist, talk T-A-L-K, the number two, Mac, M-A-C underscore therapist. If you live in New York and you are seeking a couples therapist, you can find me at therapyisforeveryone.org. I repeat, therapyisforeveryone.org. And once again, thank you for having me. Thank you for for sharing your platform. These conversations keep me going because we are doing the work and hopefully together we can start to change the number of divorces that's currently happening in this world. Ooh, yes. Let's change. Let's change. Let's improve marriages. Love that. Let's let's see if we can get that divorce rate down. Have happier, healthier, like more people. I mean, we get married, most of us, because like we love that person. Hopefully, they're like our best friend. And no one is like standing at the altar. You know what I hope for in twenty years? Divorce or five years even. You know, we're hoping exactly. for like on our rocking chairs and our front porch in our 80s like sipping our iced tea holding hands or something you know like that's the dream and to have so many cool experiences along the way okay let's teach them let's teach them all the cool stuff so i'm gonna link all of max's information that was just shared in the show notes and listen up for the next episode thank you for tuning in to relationship psych the podcast put on by ember relationship psychology if you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.